Man, it's almost like we practiced that. Did y'all see that? Such a great transition. I'll tell you what is suddenly restorative to me. Listening to a trumpet player play so softly. That's amazing. That's amazing work. Yeah. You guys, you guys know there's two people that are always thrown out of the band, right? It's the trumpet player and the drummer. They're like, hey, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll call you when we're ready. Thank you, guys. Always, always such a joy. The, the art in Austin isn't terrible. And so when you're willing to work with good people, there's great musicians available on Sunday morning. So I know that's not true in, well, wherever you live, but it's true here. So it's always good. It's the first time we've met Michael Ray. So good stuff. So welcome to this little space. Um, and when we say welcome, I want to acknowledge uh, that your willingness to tune in and participate, even, even to think of joining us on mission as we seek to discern together how to be the body of Christ in a brand new world, which is just another way of saying how to be good people in our cities. I want to acknowledge that that's, that's a decision you make, and so we see you out there. And there's more to come later if you've never actually joined us on mission. Um, there's more to come later, uh, later on this week and actually in, in the next coming weeks. Uh, and, and I just want to, you to, to know that we are thinking actively about ways to encourage you to partner with us virtually all around the country, wherever you are. And we actually have some suggestions, and they won't be complicated, they'll be simple. But there's some opportunities coming to us, and so stay tuned for that later. So listen, actually, stay tuned after the live stream today for a conversation that we're going to have about some opportunities coming up here in Austin at the end of this week. And then go ahead and keep track of whatever questions you might have related to a Q&A we're going to do after our service about how to engage and how to participate. There's going to be a number on the screen. Actually, there's a number on the screen right now. So as you think of questions, go ahead and text those questions to us, and then Trey and I will sit after the service for a few minutes, and we'll answer those questions as best we can. Uh, this week, I was on a phone call with several dozen United Methodist pastors around the country, and the question was, how do we engage people in virtual space? And one of the ways that we've done it, and we've not mastered it, we're just trying, but one of the things we've tried is to have that Q&A space where we can actually talk about reopening. What are we doing? What are the ministries up to? How do we serve? Things like that. So don't tune out when it's over. Stay tuned and you'll see us pop back on for a very informal, always super entertaining. Trey on screen is like doing 80 miles an hour in a convertible in the rain on bald tires with no seatbelts. You might get there. You might not. You never know what he's going to say. And so tune in for that, if nothing else, for the entertainment value. Also, no weather report this week, you guys. I don't even want to talk about what happened yesterday in Austin because if we did... The Brunings in Iowa would probably sell the farm and move here. We keep our perfect weather days a secret, so there's no weather report this week. Everybody's Googling back saying, it was spectacular. 66 degrees and raining in the morning. I know that's not a big deal in Pennsylvania. That's a thing down here in Central Texas. Anyway, anyway, back to the welcome. So if you've been kicking around ANC for years, welcome. If you're brand new here, welcome to you too. If you're totally over church, I had this conversation this week, but you just can't seem to shake tuning us in or coming to this little place when it's open, welcome. If you're a lifelong Methodist uh, or a Catholic or Baptist or you're completely agnostic about all of it, welcome because you're here too and we see you. It's weird and beautiful actually how this little community has grown this year of all years and we embrace all of it. We embrace all of you. We welcome every single one of you here. Every single one of you belongs with us here in this place. And as always, let us know who you are. Let us know where you live. Let us know how we can encourage you from here. 
So I've enjoyed re-looking at the parables of Jesus this summer. We're not quite done. Uh, I've especially enjoyed last week. And so uh, we're going to push pause today just for a moment. And we're going to build on some of the thoughts that are still lingering from last week. There's still some things percolating in my heart and in my head. And I'm not done thinking about the parable of the lost sheep, if I'm honest, and maybe I never will be. It's not that I didn't try to move on this week. All week I tried to power forward and teach something fresh, but I'm stuck here because the thought that I am what heaven seeks, that I am and have always been found, is setting me free right now. Laura Jennings told me a story this week about a friend of hers named Julie, and it touched me. Her friend was raised in evangelical spaces, much like us, and some time ago, she got that, you know, the requisite cross tattoo on the lower arm. You remember the 90s? But now that she's deconstructing her faith and she's thinking things a little differently, she feels a little self-conscious about presenting that arm to people with that big cross right there. And so after last week's sermon, The Parable on the Mount, she decided what she'd have it redesigned into, and it's simply going to read, found. And I love that. We might need a picture of that later, Julie, by the way. So I don't know about you, but learning to accept the fact that God has never not pursued me is reformatting my hard drive completely. And I'm not a computer guy. That's actually for you, Jake. Thought you might think that's funny. So after fighting all this week with my insides and discussing it at length with my team, I think we need to hover here for just a moment longer and build on this truth. If you don't catch what we said, if you didn't hear it, I'm just going to encourage you to go back. You can find it in our podcast stream or you can find it live streamed uh, onto our Facebook or YouTube pages. Here's the thing. I don't think I can articulate the gospel any tighter than we did last week. The fact is, these simple little stories of Jesus that he told to the people around him still have the power to change lives. That is why I cannot let them go. You will never see me as the progressive preacher who lets go of the Bible. All week I've been up early, I've been up late, I've been ruminating on this truth. Being found by God has never had much to do with my effort to become an accomplished seeker. It just hasn't. And after all is said and done, I'm learning to collapse into this new awareness that I am what's being sought in the stories that Jesus tells. So if transformation and freedom and breakthrough and all the things I'm looking for, all the things you're looking for, aren't the result of our intense seeking, then how does it work? What's the catch? How do we get really good at this religion thing, right? If heaven is hunting me and hunting you, where then should we direct all this effort What do we do with all this desire to perform and impress and earn and prove? I might need the cliff notes after all because I've wasted a good bit of my time, it seems. And you don't need me to tell you that these aren't easy times we're living in and it doesn't look like they're gonna change anytime soon for the better. Somewhere on Interstate 10, coming back from Florida a few weeks ago with my family in tow, it hit me. We will most likely lose an entire year of normal before we emerge from this global pandemic. And even, even that's uncertain, if we're honest. We've been driven inside into places that we used to avoid. We've been forced to face our inner landscape because access to outer distractions has been cut off. And I worry about us. I worry about our health, physical, mental, spiritual. Sometimes I get up on a Monday And I turn immediately to a new text, and sometimes I start with what's bubbling in my soul, and it goes back and forth. Sometimes I begin with what's happening in my soul regarding me, regarding you, regarding us, regarding what God is doing in and through us in this place. I always start by pouring a hot cup of hope, scientifically known as coffee. You know what I'm talking about. And I sit with it, 
and you and me and us every morning at six on my porch. Usually some sprinklers somewhere in my yard are still going off while the foxes are still finding their way back to their daytime hiding places after a night of hungry pursuit. This pandemic has taken a lot, but it's also left a lot behind. It's left some things of real value. And I wonder if you found this to be true for you as much as I have for me. All this time alone, all this time away from society, all this time away from our gathering, away from the public places we love to frequent, all this time away has forced me into the inner landscapes of my life. The ability to distract myself from the disorder within that was always there by staying on the surface of my life has been permanently altered. So I'm getting it into shape. I'm paying attention on the inside differently. Which has me wondering if I even missed the way the old world was or if I just hate being told what I can and can't do. There's so much more of my soul in focus these days and I don't want that to change even when we emerge from this. I used to tell myself that everything I did was important. All the busyness was for good reason. We would sit around and brag about that if we're honest. But now that so much of that routine has been taken away, I'm not so sure it was as important as I thought. And I think you're with me. So my rhythms and my habits have changed, possibly, hopefully, for good. COVID has given me the opportunity to bring order to the inside, and that inner order is changing how I engage the outside world. Now we're beginning to get somewhere. Honestly, stark lines that are drawn between inside and outside realities all break down at some level anyway. I just used to keep myself so damn busy I didn't notice as much as I do now. And it's funny how loss and grief and change can force us to admit what our souls already always knew, that our inner and outer worlds flow together seamlessly back and forth. It's like a sunset on North Captiva Island. If you wait long enough, eventually it becomes almost impossible to distinguish between ocean and sky. It becomes one palette of colors. Why would you even try? What, after all, is inside and what is outside? And we won't go into that. Here's what I'm learning. Most of us spend our entire existence seeking something we already have inside. And that's the secret no one tells us. The treasure is not where we've been looking, so we struggle to find it until exhaustion, that divine tool that God loves to wield, eventually guarantees that we are found by love. Transformation generally happens right when we stop fighting. You know what I'm talking about. Right when we give up, when we settle in, and when we let ourselves fall into the lap that has always, already been there, right beneath us, perfectly positioned to hold our eventual becoming, our falling, our descent, our ultimate identity as the found ones. Life will inevitably find ways to remind us that we belong to two realms. We are both sky and sea, and sometimes when we allow it, it can become impossible to distinguish between our inner and outer resources. One feeds the other. But that takes practice. And we have lots of names for this kind of practice. You could call it discipleship if that word works for you, or deconstruction, or growth, or transformation. Whatever word works for you, it requires release, and it requires rhythm and attention to the inner landscape. There was a rhythm to the life of Jesus. His life was not an unbroken thread of efforts and activities on the outside. You remember, he lived for nearly 30 years before we know much of anything he did. 
And even after 30 years of preparation for those three years of ministry, he often still withdrew into quiet places of rest right in the middle of the action. Now, we can't be exactly sure what his daily rhythms were since the chronology in our text is imprecise and probably incomplete. His day probably didn't begin as mine does with good coffee and the Insight Timer app. We know this. But what we do know is that Jesus recharged, often alone. Luke writes this in chapter 5, these brief verses. He says, But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of their diseases, verse 16 reads, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. According to the chronology that Luke recalls here, right after Jesus begins calling his first disciples, you'll remember the story, it's something like drop the nets, the fish are on the other side of the boat. Immediately after healing the man of leprosy, a skin disease that equaled being outcast from society, right before he heals the paralytic man who's lowered through the thatched roof by good friends because Jesus couldn't be gotten to, he was so popular. Right after all of this, in the middle of all these demands, all this work, this endless conversations and defenses about who he was to people in authority, right in the middle of all of this, Luke offers us this editorial comment. He says he would often withdraw to deserted places to pray. Right in the middle of the action, Jesus had a little disappearing act he liked to do. Right when things were getting going and the crowds would turn around and look for him and he would be gone. Sometimes into the wilderness, sometimes into a fishing boat, sometimes he'd just walk to the water. Poof, he would vanish. He'd pull the plug. He'd punch out. He'd sneak away. Why? When? More importantly, what about all the ones he left unhealed, untouched, unchanged because he needed to rest? I mean, come on, Messiah, lean in and let's get busy. You've been preparing for this your whole life. People need you. But poof, he'd pull away sometimes, even to the consternation of his dear mother. How did he know when to double down and when to disappear? Did he ever get it wrong? And have, I have nightmares sometimes about the little scene at the pool where all of the people with broken bodies and crippling diseases would gather. Whoever was first to throw themselves into the water after the angel of the Lord would stir the surface with their finger, that person would be healed. And into all this expectation and hope and grief, Jesus walks healing one man before he turns around, walks back out, leaving all the rest to fend for themselves. Why? Don't try to make up doctrine about this little story. I'm not interested in theories about why this man in particular deserved to be healed. Don't bring me faith that creates healing while the others did not. I'm not interested in that right now. For a moment, just sit with this disappointment because you've felt it a hundred times over the years. You've been overlooked. You've been passed by. Jesus went to rest right before your need was met. How did Jesus decide what was important enough and what wasn't? Because I have issues, frankly, with some of his decisions. What was his official criteria for action and engagement? Which isn't really the question that interests me most. Here it is. How do we decide when to push ahead and when to retreat, when to vanish, when to disappear for the sake of the health of our souls and when to lean in and get the work done? That's the question that I need an answer to. Jesus knew what all great spiritual masters eventually discover, that our inner worlds inform our outer worlds, and now you see where we're going. And it takes time alone in solitude and rest to cultivate an inner landscape 
We all eventually learn that somewhere on the seafloor of our soul beneath the raging waves, the riptides of life, somewhere down inside us there is a place to fall back into, a lap to collapse into, a place we can find strength for the demands that happen on the surface of our lives. Maybe we need to learn to disappear like Jesus more often with greater intention. Not after our lives crumble, maybe before they begin to crack before the demands empty us out entirely. I'm actually beginning to wonder about this question. Did Jesus rest after long stretches of draining crowd work, or did he rest before on the front side of the work, effectively building his resilience and strength before he needed it? You know, how we answer this question when we lean in And when we pull back and when to make that decision for the sake of our souls will have a lot to do with how long we can stay present and engaged. How we balance our inner and outer lives predicts our impact in the end, not to mention the happiness along the way. These are dynamic decisions. They're not easy. I've had to learn the hard way how to put the proper rests into my life, into my week, and I do it before the demands. I'm learning when to double down and when to back off. I wonder if it would bore you to hear some of the details about my weekly routine. Now, given this is pre-COVID, so filter what you're about to hear. This won't surprise you. Sundays are my big day. And generally, Sundays make me either super happy or super sad. (laughs) If I think that we connected and I said well what needed to be said, I feel pretty good and I take credit for it and I go home happy. If things don't go as well as I hoped, if I say something dumb or tick someone off or someone has, you know, that stinky face or just if I just miss the moving target or just don't get it done, then I feel pretty down about it. I take credit for that too. Either way, Sundays take a huge emotional toll on my body and on my mind. So I've learned that what I do immediately after Sunday's emotional work is important, almost as important as what I do immediately before it. So I rest before the heavy lifting, and then I get back to work immediately after it's done, which is why I don't take Mondays off. You see, Sunday freight, the freight train of the Sunday thought, you know, the, the whole thing and the exchange is still rolling when I wake up on Monday mornings. The momentum is still there in my heart and in my mind. And whether it was a win or a loss, every little, little detail still feels available to me. All the feedback, all the comments. And so what I do is I get up on Monday and I get right back to work. Once the girls are off to school, remember when we used to do that, put kids on buses and send them to school? Once the kids are off to school, I head downtown from where we live outside of Austin in my beat-up old 2003 Toyota Tacoma. Don't ask me. I've never loved a truck more than this one. It's just, a, it's just one of those rides. I generally come to town listening to the audio podcast of the sermon the day before. I roll into downtown Austin around 7.30, give or take, and I start my run around Town Lake. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Austin, You might be confused when we refer to our beloved body of water downtown as a lake. Actually, she's a river. It's the lower Colorado. But you'd need to know that we like to change names on things, right? And so we dammed her on either side and we call her a lake. We give ourselves that permission. Anyhow, we do that just to confuse you out-of-towners. That's what we do. But whatever variation of four, six, eight, or ten miles I feel like running that day, whatever I'm in the mood for, I run the loop of Ladybird Lake. Oh, yeah, that's another name for that same body of water. And when I'm done, I grab my stuff out of my truck and I take a quick dip in Barton Springs, 68 degrees every day of the year, no matter how hot it is outside. Then I shower 
They grab a table down at Jack Wilson's place, and you might know that as Radio Coffee and Beer. Once there, I immediately start writing my next sermon for the following Sunday. That's what I do on Mondays. Why? Because the thought train is still rolling forward, and if I let it stop, it takes a ton of effort to get it moving again. I need to find my body again, and and it's not the best time for me to, to rest on a Monday morning. So a good run in some cold water and some good coffee pulls me back from the recesses of my mind into my body, which is in turn empowers me to go back into my heart and into my mind to pull these words for you after I've found them for myself. And so I write as much as I can and rejoin my family for dinner on Monday afternoons. What's my point? It's a flow, body and spirit, inner and outer balance. It's both and. This pastoring gig isn't just about thought work. My body has to support the thinking. These ideas eventually has to carry them before they become sermons or challenges or tears or encouragement. My body has to carry the words first, and I have to pay attention to both the inner and the outer world. So I rest on Fridays, ahead of the strain. And if the week went well, if my manuscript is turned into my team by Thursday at some point, then my reward is to completely forget about everything on Friday. So much so that by the time Sam texts me and says, hey, what's the text for tomorrow? I often have absolutely no idea what she's asking. I rest hard so that I can work hard. I vanish right here in town. Sometimes in a beat-up truck, sometimes on a beautiful old motorcycle, sometimes into a pair of expensive earphones right at the kitchen table that I turn them up so loud I can't hear anything going on, I vanish right there in front of my family. This is no longer something I feel guilty about. I disappear ahead of the strain because I know how dangerous demands can be. I know how easy it can be for me to lose myself in the needs of others. I disappear so that I can attend to the inside, so that I can descend into the depths where the waves and the riptides don't go. I gather my strength and focus before I need it most. I try to keep an eye on the gauges and the signs of fatigue before they become a threat to my overall well-being. Now, this is just what works best for me. You'll have to find your own rhythm. I don't know what it is. All I can tell you is that it will involve some doubling down and some pulling back. It can't just be one or the other, and so do both with your whole heart. A word of caution before we end. Hiding is not the same as healthy, periodic, rhythmic, intentional disappearing. Hiding is different. Hiding behind unhealthy habits and addictions only feels helpful until we realize that we don't come back recharged and refocused. It's not my job to tell you how to distinguish between the two, hiding versus resting, except to say that if it makes you meaner and crabbier to the ones you love the most, it's probably something you should move away from. No shame, no guilt, no judgment coming from me, but let's learn and let's lean in and be honest with ourselves. If we are not the seekers, but the sought, and our greatest work is to allow ourselves to be found, then we get to relax into love and belonging. We get to pull away as needed into whatever we already need to comfort ourselves. It's already available inside. And knowing that we always have this option available to us at any moment will sustain us for the long haul ahead. I wonder... Do you feel loved enough to accept this good news today? Pray with me.